This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I'm just gutted that DL doesn't read the chat and didn't realise that you'd be there yesterday. Oh. And on his show afterwards yesterday, he said, oh, I had other stuff to do. No, he couldn't be asked with the cues. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, we're getting into to, to chat on the yeah. show, but I suppose it'd be used anyway, but we probably might as well carry on. The cues were, I don't blame him, you know, I so yeah, I, I went, I, I took um, my, my partner to the game Um her first Salhurst game, her first Palace game was was at it was the FA Cup semi final uh, against Chelsea. But this was the first game at Salhurst, and so the first proper game really. And in traditional style, I uh, the, the first time I realised the kickoff was at twelve thirty was when the Alexa next to the bed announced that the kickoff was twelve thirty in the morning because she's got a clever routine set up to tell us what what's relevant for that day. And um, yeah, so when the alarm went off at oh. half eight, I was like, oh, okay. Because I, I obviously I live a lot further away than I from the ground than I used to. So that was a whole thing. So driving in, realizing I hadn't fully charged the car because I have an electric car. So it's having to stop and try and find a free charger and all this kind of stuff. It was not going well. Uh, and I was going to be, you know, pretty, pretty much I, arrive I'm- at kickoff time a bit jealous that you have enough going on in your life that Alexa tells you what's happening during the day every morning. So you could consider that, that I have enough going on in my life, or you could consider it that the mental deterioration um, has just reached such extreme levels that I can no longer remember day to day what's happening. So, and you'd probably find the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, But yeah, so um, yeah, the, the kickoff delay was, was kind of useful although i still didn't get into the ground to my seat before uh before the game had started but um how how did you both get well chris i saw when you arrived <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was um, quite annoyed um, yeah yeah I, what to say um how are we the only club that that happens to I guess I don't know if we are really. Um, I was going to say that. Are we? Do we know this, or are we just so focused on Palace that it happens to us? And we focus I on don't it. think I've ever seen it happen to anyone else. But it's like that thing where um, the thread that um, 
what people did for every time Wilfred Zaha plays against somebody's team and they say, yeah. oh, oh, Zaha's turned into Messi against us. And that the guy did the thread of absolutely every single team saying it. It's that <laughs> same thing, isn't it? Like, okay. Um, we, you know, we don't notice it, but we've had some ridiculous stuff, haven't we? When, you know, dodgy things like floodlights being cut and, and in a game against West Ham before and stuff like that. So, but it did take a, an inordinately long time to get it sorted out as well. There, there there's definitely was no real backup plan. There weren't enough people around to deal with it. Um, you said you got, I think you said you got there quite early, Nick. No, well, not really. I was there at about 12. So uh, half hour, we queued up half hour to get in, and then yeah. we had time for a drink. And the um, last time I went, um, they got my bill wrong when I bought a beer at half time, and uh, the woman couldn't refund the price of a beer, and the queue was getting bigger and bigger behind me. So I said, "Oh, just give us a beer next time uh, I come. Uh, you owe me one." Hmm. And she was waiting for me. Said, "Oh, I, I owe you a beer. Do you want a beer?" Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so that's good Good service. So, yeah, it was, yeah. Which yeah. I didn't have because I was driving. But there you mm. go. But we'll um, we'll chat more in a sec about pre-game and, and the match and stuff. Because obviously it's been a while since I've... Um, my last game at Sellers Park was that... I think it was the Tottenham game that we were allowed... We had 2,000 yeah. fans back for. Yeah, it was. I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, quite quite a few things were different <laughs> so or that more maybe maybe i'm not particularly observant i don't know which way around it is but um. this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans hello and welcome to the back of the nest match report i'm chris hambling and with me today i have chris clark and nick gillard and we'll take a look at crystal palace's 4-3 victory at sellers park against west ham united but before we do i mean first of all you know, a quick hello to, to Nick and Chris. Um, we have spent 12 minutes talking already. Probably some of that will be included either, um, you know, before or after the general part of the show. So you'll hear some of that, I'm sure. But um, yeah, just a, a quick touch base. I saw Chris at the game. I mean, don't faint everybody. I actually went to, to Sellers Park to watch Palace. Uh, first time in a while. We'll talk a bit about that. But uh, it was good to see your face, Chris. Not to experience your face. Uh, lick, licking the back of my head uh, when Je- when Jeffrey Schlupp scored, that was um, obviously deeply traumatic and something that will, will, will cause me a lack of sleep for a while. But other than that, it was good to see you. Yeah, well, I think the last time I saw you, um, no, the second to last time I saw you, I licked your head as well. So it's yeah. become a little bit of a tradition and something that I especially felt I had to do when um, King Jeff slotted that ball in. Um, it was a, it was a great moment. Yeah, seriously though, yeah, great to have you back in the ground and um, you know part part of the Palace family. You know whether there are many many members of the Palace family who aren't able to attend games at all. Of course, you know yeah. people around the world and um, you know people who uh, life circumstances can't attend, uh, which obviously has covered uh, your situation at times mm. over the last few years. Great to have you back, mate. Um, and yeah, hope hopefully you'll be at more games next season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was nice to, uh, to obviously to inspire Palace to a victory once they knew the once the buzz got around that I'd come back. Um, 
<laughs> uh, a couple of couple of people who look disturbingly like me around the ground as well. Don't know if you noticed that. Well, you definitely noticed that, Chris. But um, uh, yeah, he's also featured big time on Match of the Day. Yeah, I saw um, that. The yeah. celebrations. Yeah, Louise yeah, and I. Um, it's the fake Cambo. Is it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tim, um, who used to be on the, the show for a while, still listens, um, reached out today and said, were you celebrating on match of the day? And I was like, I didn't, I didn't look. I said, I haven't looked yet, but um, there was, there were a lot of doppelgangers around yesterday. So I do think it was probably one of them. Um, and uh, as it was, it turned out to be the one who was very near us. Um, there was also a, a, a fake younger Hambo in the pub later on. Um, which um, yeah, look, it's good again. It's good to inspire a certain look, and and um, you know those guys are, are very very lucky, uh, obviously to share their faces with me. So um, congrats on that, um, <laughs> Nick. I didn't see you, sadly. No. Um, it would have been nice to have seen you, and and my partner was actually quite keen to to meet you because of the exasperation I in, in how I deal with my phone <laughs> during your comments on WhatsApp. She says why. Why are you angry? Do you hate Nick? I'm like, no, I don't hate Nick. I like him very much. But, but she says, You're, why are you always angry at him on WhatsApp? And I said, because he talks to himself on WhatsApp and he makes stupid jokes. Um, how do you feel? Hello, Chris. Hello, Hi. Chris. I feel with my hands. No, I feel all right. Um, I just, I've got two questions to ask. Well, three things now. One, of the, one thing I need to ask Chris uh, of the Croydon Parish. What does Hambo's head taste like? Licorice. Okay, fair enough. That's <laughs> that's, that's easy answer. Uh, Chris, was the younger you when you say they were like a younger you? Were they a lot bigger than you are now? Um, uh, I mean that's a difficult one to answer with with that with that situation right now. But um, yeah, they they were. Yeah, they were okay. both. I th- I feel like both uh, fake hambos, should we call them? Um, were 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 larger than i am yeah larger than i currently am but uh, you know that's that's an, an ongoing battle and we all face it and you know i've got to do a bit better on that front um i have to well, say hopefully i'm moving into um the homestay next season because they mm. put my season to get price up to over 600 pound because my son is over 18 now so i don't get the family price reduction so i'm looking at getting over into the homestay so the fact that uh, Croydon Chris thought I was in there for years anyway, because <laughs> he saw me against a friendly against uh, Montpellier. Um, the other question I was going to ask mm. Chris is: uh, It's been a long time since you've been Hambo, mm. and um, in fact, probably pre-COVID was the last proper kind of full-on Palace experience. How different was it for you yesterday? Yeah, it was to the last time. Yeah. So yeah, in, in full transparency, obviously I'd been I'd been to the the Spurs game during COVID when the first one they allowed fans back because um, I couldn't not once once I got tickets it would have been really <laughs> really unpleasant to be able to get tickets for that one and not, not not go so I did I did go for that wearing a mask and all that kind of stuff but I did go to the FA Cup semi final against Chelsea um but that's all i've really managed um since since pre-covid times and it, it was different like the bar setup was different uh there was a dj in place of the hot dog stand which really annoyed me um for for a while um but yeah the the kind of general look of the place has obviously not changed hugely but um but it was it was a it was a real ple- it was a very pleasant return like like there was a lot of great things about about coming back and as I say, I'm going to harp on about it too much, but I, you know, I took my, my 
partner to her first game at Selhurst. And, you know, you always wonder, you know, Chris, I know you've experienced this with, with, with your partner as well, where you just wonder, are they going to have, you know, even any fun at all, or are they just going to have to endure it, you know, in support of us? And, you know, she absolutely loved the day and also loved the sort of vibe at the, uh, at the pub after the game. Uh, it's, in her words, it, it was like being in an episode of Ted Lasso, which um, amused me greatly. Um, and those of you who watch that will under, probably understand what she means. But, um, but yeah, it was... Filmed at Celeste. Well, it's filmed at Celeste, yeah. But you know, it, but the pub after the game, we went went to the Cherries, and that you know that whole vibe in there, just people, just people being happy, talking about football, wearing red and blue. That's that was you know that's how she summed it up. So, um, but yeah, the, a lot of things were different, um, you know. And I I liked the little. I'd, I'd never like half time, Chris, as as you know, as he always does, ran off to to the bar and said, "I'll be at the Cronks bar at the end." And I'm like, yeah, 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 cool. So then, as soon as he'd gone, I was just like, "What's the what's the Kronk's bar? <laughs> like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> so I, I sort of walked out there and like grabbed some food. And I'm looking at the the sort of main bar uh, by the end by entrance three, and I'm looking at it, thinking, "Wow, it sells Palace Ale, but that's not Kronk's." And I just stood there for a while, and I'm just looking. At it. And in the end, I just sort of saw the corner, and I saw, I think it's called Palace Tap, isn't it? Yeah something like that and I was like ah there it is yeah and you'd been standing there for probably for quite some time waiting for us and we'd been standing over the opposite side yeah. of the, 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 the hotel. I did wonder where you got to but yeah okay. just just I didn't know it existed um but also yeah and I, like, I'll, I'll cut it as short as I can but like it was also the first time back in block E for a while and obviously you know it's quite informal in terms of the space you get and, and where you go. You got a ticket in there, but you know, you know full well your, your seat may might be occupied by up to three or four people when you get there, that kind of a thing. But I do want to sort of speak to how, you know, accommodating it is because, you know, I sort of basically in the end, it was so full because it's such an ass getting into the ground, isn't it? So, um, when the turnstiles don't work. So, um, yeah, I, I, and we just in the end, I just went to where roughly where my seat was and just kind of pushed my way in, and it was really nice that people just kind of got out of the way and rearranged themselves, which I thought you know I didn't have to even ask. It was it was just nice. It was a really welcoming atmosphere, um, really positive, and and it really helped to have a you know to have a really. It just made me miss the place, you know. Beforehand, I was. I wasn't sure that I really missed it, <laughs> but I think it took five or 10 minutes to, to confirm to me that I really did. And it was, it was just great to be back and great to watch Palace uh, winning a game of football. Almost begs the philosophical question. Is it better to go to the odd game here and there? Cause you'll find it more enjoyable or do you just stick out the whole season and see the story unfold? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's one of those questions. You'd, you'd, you'd be very, very hard to answer, wouldn't it? You know, I want, you know, I'm sitting here now thinking I want to go to the last two home games for sure. Um, but, you know, I'm also aware that it's not that long ago that all the joy and all the life got completely sucked out of football f- for me for a little while. And, and it was a real chore to do it. And I heard some guys talking about that on the way to the game, actually. They were, they were just talking about how they're really enjoying it at the moment. And one of them said, you know, in, in not so many words, I'll, I'll paraphrase to some degree, but said, you know, it's if it if you get up in the morning and you're going to Palace and it feels like work, then you shouldn't be going to Palace. 
Um, and I thought that was quite an astute thing to say. And, and, you know, it was interesting hearing that on the way to the ground, but at the moment it doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like a treat and, uh, you know, something worth doing, but you know, you stick through to your club through thick and thin, and I've never wavered in my desire for palace to do well, but the, the sort of time, energy, money and effort, uh, it takes, and you can see the, the impact on my voice, for example, I can barely speak right now. Um, and, you know, all of that put together when you're when you're not feeling it is is very hard to do. But um, pleasingly, we're not we're not feeling like that right now. I mean, it is a take the rough with the smooth, and I think you know I mean, we're going to obviously talk about the game and say a lot of positive things. But for what it's worth, I mean, I, I went up to Wolves um, and spent two days there. Uh, now, I'm not going to say it's a depressing place. It's certainly not as bad as Watford. Um, but um, it was not the most thrilling of experiences you know I mean I suppose it wasn't terrible performance but we obviously got a very frustrating kick in the nuts result and I wasn't feeling as in love with football um, then as I was leaving Selhurst yesterday so you know it's just a roller coaster isn't it and you just got to ride it Exactly. It's good to quote Ronan Keating at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, it's we we all know this, right? It's great when you're winning. It's not so great when you're losing, and you and you try to maintain a level head. And also, we all know our reactions, like instantaneous reactions, like against Wolves, right? You know, I'm, I I tweeted after the game what a waste of a football match it was, right? And all this kind of stuff. And and I didn't feel like explaining myself to a, to a couple of people who who took issue with what I said and it's but look, those those are my instant reactions if you ask me two days later I'll have a I'll have a different reaction excuse me I just need to cough it's weird isn't it Chris because last mm. year Wolves away was one of our best performances and, yeah and it was a brilliant day out so you know same yeah. teams different different match yeah but you know that's 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 it's the fun of it isn't it that's why that's why I've been a Palace fan for as long as I have and and you know you you guys as well it's just it's what we do, but sometimes it's more enjoyable than others. Um, but yeah, so anyway, look, let's let's focus a little bit. We've got some news to quickly run through. And just to you know, just to repeat myself to some degree, apologies that my voice may sound unenthusiastic. Uh, but that's literally because I screamed every kind of uh, ex- you know expressive tone out of it, and it's just this monotone sort of croaky thing right now. So um, <clears throat> apologies. Can Mikey use this one for your AI then in the future? Yep. Possibly, or we can just uh, afterwards just edit it and just randomly change the pitch of my voice so it sounds like um sounds like I've got some emotions. But um, but I promise you, um, I'm in a very happy place with Palace. I, I, you know, I was happy with with how we played yesterday. Um, not as happy as some people by the sounds of things, but well, I thought we were pretty good. Um, but we'll talk about the the pros and cons of of that performance. But it's always great to beat West Ham. Let's face it. Um. But in news this week, so uh, the under-18s, first and foremost, played their last game of the season, uh, played against West Bromwich Albion, um, and was 1-1 a score, and finished um, finished third in, in the under-18 Premier League South, which is a, a fantastic uh, achievement, we have to say. Um, and 18's been good this year, at times outstanding, um, but at other times they've had to deal with some significant changes in personnel, which I think has, has had a, a fairly fairly noticeable impact. Um, so, you know, there's some really good players coming through who've had very good seasons um, and we've brought players in to supplement that. Um, 
you know, so uh, the goal from Palace was from from Zach Marsh, who's, who's got a few goals this season, doing really well down there. Um, and yeah, I, I you know, there's, there's not too much I can say about it. I didn't see the game, unfortunately. Um, only other point of note that I wanted to pick out was uh, Sean Derry's son, Jesse, um, came on as a sub in that game. Um, again, I think that's, he's, he's the age group below and is, is a highly thought of young man and um yeah came close to to winning the game very late on there but um, is Sean is Sean Derry allowed to come and watch him because I don't being fired and all that yeah I well I don't I don't I don't know I don't have the details on that I can say you know I've read a, a, a few things here and there but I don't know anything for a fact um and I would just say, like, you know, I I don't know a hundred percent that he's completely gone from the club. Somebody said he was on gardening leave or something like that, and it was obviously as Vieira's assistant. So who, who knows, mate? I don't think we've seen the the last of Sean at Palace, and at least I hope not, because he's a a wonderful coach and a, it was a brilliant player for us. So um, so fingers crossed we see him again. Um, but anyway, yeah. So great from the 18s, finished the season strongly. Um, I'm sure they'd have. Love to end it with a win, but um, but wasn't to be. But Rob Quinn has done a, a wonderful job with that team, and yeah, let's let's see how many of them can. Uh, well, obviously there'll be some second years who stay with that team um, next year. A few will be moving upwards, um, and then we have got the dreaded sort of retained list that comes out fairly soon, where some difficult decisions have to be made for some of those players. So we'll keep uh, keep our eyes close on that. But such a talented bunch and. You know, really, really impressive season from them for sure. Um, just to, to give a couple of quotes from Rob Quinn, you can read the full uh, details on the Palace website. But um, Quinn had said a bit frustrated with the draw because they like to try and win every single game. Um, but they've been on a good run since Christmas, um, and, and credit to the boys for that. So it's and it's been positive when you look at the age group. They're young in comparison to last year's group, but the first years have got a lot of experience, and that's a massive positive going on to next season. They've got high expectations from them from here on as well. So, like I say, do do check that out. Um, he did point out that the likes of David Ozo and Caden Rodney have played up for the under twenty ones in the, for the whole year, which is hugely positive. But it does obviously weaken that side and take experience out of the eighteens, and that's why. Obviously, it was a, a young squad. Um, the um, yeah, the under twenty ones um, had a a very poor result, three um, nil defeat against Blackburn uh, on uh, Friday. Just gone. Um, yeah, two changes to the team that lost 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 to Wolves, but um, but yeah, it was two nil at half time. Um, and despite a couple of chances and a slightly better performance in the second half, um, they did score again in the 80th minute and, uh, and, and it was 3-0. So really poor way there in a penultimate league game of the season. But you kind of feel like maybe they've just got one eye on that under-21 uh, Premier League Cup semi-final against Valencia. Um, that's uh, Nick. You you said to me you can only see that from the ground. You have to get your tickets for that one if you can get in. Yeah, um, <laughs> if they let you in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, due to licensing regs, it's not going to be on Palace TV. So that's so, a shame. So get down there and, and support the other twenty ones. I mean, you you were saying about um the under eighteens being depleted. The under twenty ones have been depleted by Paddy moving up a notch, haven't they? So. Yeah, exactly, and there's you know there's been a lot of a lot of change around that. Obviously, there's been players that have gone with the, the first team squad. There's been players sort of 
going out on loan and, and, and weakening that team. So, but you know, they've had a pretty good season. You have to say it's, it's petered out, but it's petered out because I think again, they've got one, why aren't one eye on this cup being in that semifinals of the premier, I think it's called the premier league cup. I think I'm not going insane. Being in the semifinals of that is a, is a, you know, it's an impressive thing. And then, so there's a chance of silverware for that team. Well, so it's when, understandable. They're focused on it. When you look at the fact we beat Paris Saint-Germain and Liverpool en route, that's no mean feat, is it? No, exactly right. So, um, yeah, exciting to see how, how that pans out. So um, obviously best of luck to the, to the boys on that one. Um, the Palace women's team uh, drew one, one with Charlton in their final game of the season, went one nil down, but um at least Hughes uh, equalised, um, and it was ended up in th- with a fifth finish in the women's championship, which was um, again really positive. Been a lot of change around the the team this year, um, but yeah, um, that that put them ahead of Southampton uh, and and a fifth place finish, which is absolutely fantastic, great achievement, and hopefully you know set up to see how we can really sort of build on that and improve on that next year and try and try and push towards the top. And uh, and progress as a club and as a team, so wonderful stuff. And um, yeah, I think that the Palace women's uh, Twitter account tweeted uh, a massive thanks to the incredible fans for the support all season and how much they appreciate them. And it's been really well supported. And, and I think more and more people um, will kind of will kind of move towards supporting the women's team alongside the men's team as well. Um, especially if you're on that season ticket wa- t- season ticket waiting list, if you can't get a you know, get your ticket for the men's game. You did a lot worse than going to see the women's team, didn't you? So, um, yeah, give that a thought. So that will do there. Um, so let, let's just quickly, um, get moving on, on talking about the game. So obviously Palace won the game four, three, there were five goals in the first half, uh, and, and, and two more in the second. Um, and it was, it was one of those, Nick, dare I say one of those old fashioned end to end games, kind of almost, kind of type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I said to the bloke next to me when it was 3-2, the commentators are bound to say this is fascinating, exhilarating end-to-end stuff. A um, good advert for the British game or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But but yeah. to be fair, um, even at 3-2, West Ham were flattered. I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I call it an end-to-end game, but, but I just mean in the in the terms of how the scoring happened. The, tr- the truth is, we were we were comfortably the better team by a long way. By a long way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, there's there's a few obviously a few things to talk about, and I'm just trying to think of which which order to do them best because I don't want to I don't want to focus too strongly on the negatives. But you know, if I start with them <laughs> or end Can with I? them, it's not great. So let's 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 do a, a compliment sandwich in terms of of this. So Nick, you you may start. I well, I just want a, a comment from our back of the nest Facebook page from our old friend uh, Lucy Elizabeth. Um, I don't know why I called her Lucy Elizabeth. Good old Luce. Um, yeah. <laughs> her comment was, bring back season ticket cards, which I think is uh, the first thing we need to talk about <laughs> with the game, really, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, obviously, yeah, we 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 all had an experience getting into the game. Um, we talked about it pre-show, and it, it, we may well include some of that chat, so I'll, I'll keep this nice and brief. But let's just say, um, you know, it would be better if there was a a plan B. We talk about plan B tactically quite a lot. Um, you know, many managers have been accused of not having a plan B, but, um, you know, the, the e-ticket card thing just 
it's just it just failed you know and they were calling people i'm sure you all experienced it they were calling people through who'd kept their plastic cards um who were able to get into the ground um but you know like anything you know we ex- i accept that it ha- things have to move on and things have to change and and actually by the time you know i got to to go through the turnstile it actually worked on you know i give credit where it's due but um obviously producer sam's ticket i i had transferred over to me using the ticketing system so in my iphone wallet i had my season ticket and i had this additional ticket both on my phone using the reader for that and it was just easy no i didn't have to do anything you know it was it was as simple as anything but up until the point the readers worked it was it was an absolute nightmare and there was no real alternative and and most importantly is there's there's no real communication you know i found kickoff had been delayed just by talking to people in the queue and i don't know where that came from there seemed to be somebody with a megaphone at one point trying to explain what had happened but most of it was you know people will put up with anything to some degree for a short period of time if they know what's going on and i think most people were, were saying that the lack of communication the lack of clarity over why there was just a swarm of people <laughs> meandering around the homestead and and beyond i didn't know which what end to which queue to join it was just i had no idea there was no queue management it was nothing i'm standing in the back of a very long queue watching people walk past me and joining the same queue later on so in the end they all kind of just merged together so that was my experience i'm just glad it wasn't raining yesterday was probably the first day i didn't put the heating on all year or, or since when, all right so money bags what it would have been like if it um had it been raining, uh, I think the mood might have been very different then. What are you, what are you earning that you can put your heating on? I only have it on low. Mm. And it's not on all the time. Mm. Chris? So, yeah. Comments well, on the crowd or the heating situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to skip the heating debate. <laughs> um, I mean, reasons. I left early to make sure, you know, when I say I left early, I left the pub early to make sure I got in. Um, at a sensible time, um, as you know, I usually do. I, I mean, I usually try and have a beer in the ground, and I thought I'd got an outside chance of a beer in the ground. And then when I got round the corner and saw the state of things, you know, my heart sank. Um, I rang home because although there were rumours that the game had been put back, it wasn't clear. And as you say, um, I mean, I didn't see anyone with a loud hailer. I think they'd given up and gone home or whatever by the time that um, you'd got in and I was still... Um, some way back um, it was farcical and they need to learn lessons from it clearly but you know I the other thing is that if you're going you know for example to the homestyle upper where people sit down and you know they they do stick to their allocated seats generally speaking that's kind of it's not okay what happened was not okay for anyone but it's less of a problem than when you are go- trying to get into your regular position in the free-for-all that is blocky. Um, I managed just about to squeeze onto the edge of you know our normal row uh, and you know then jumped in literally with you eventually. But yeah, yeah. I-, I was pretty frustrated by it, as I'm sure we all were, and definitely it needs to not happen again. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, you don't want the anxiety of, you know, can I actually get to see the game? You really don't. And I know um, our friend and yours, Mr. Dr. Kerners, uh, chose to avoid the situation entirely and and stayed home to watch the game. 
Um, and I can't honestly blame him based on the, the, the kind of lack of certainty and the confusion. It was sad not to see him. Um, um, and, you know, he's offered, should we say, different excuses, hasn't he, to different people, which usually is the um, the act of, of what we would might call a liar, isn't it? He tells some people that he's, he's not going because of the queues. And other people he tells he's not going because he has things to do, I think was what he said. Yeah. Like, and then somebody else, so, so he could actually see the match, you know, properly. You know, he, he said lots of different things, didn't he? So, um, you know, he did. I'd... He is a last minute.com arriver, generally speaking. Mm. You know, we, I mean, I'm quite late because I'm finishing my beer and making sure, but making sure I get into our spot. Usually, you know, either bang on the whistle going, that's when he arrives. Or sometimes a bit late if he's got something else going on. But usually he's, he's bang on the whistle. So with his usual arrivals, if he'd arrived then for this, God knows what would have happened. He could have walked up at half time, for God's sake. He lives about three minutes from the ground. Watch the first half. You've got 15 minutes to do a three-minute walk. And then watch the second half live. Have, have the best of both worlds. Well, exactly. Exactly. But he didn't do that, did he? And why? Yeah. Why? Why does he insist... Being so late, you know, he's more like, like, you know, I know if you, I've seen seen it at work and I've seen it at school uh, back in the day when uh, the people who lived closest were the people who were always late. And, uh, and Dion's just one of those. <laughs> it's because, you, you know, you're like, oh, it's only five minutes away. I don't need to get out of bed yet. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> uh, producer Mikey in the chat is expressing a similar sentiment at the irritation of that. But I can't read out what he said. Because uh, it's very, very rude. Anyway, uh, that's quite enough uh, bashing of DR just for the time being. It was actually, I'm just very sad I didn't get to see him. It's been a while. Um, well, he was a boy when I last saw him. He's almost a man now, isn't he? And you've reached middle age. That is untrue. I would, you know, that would imply that I have twice, you know, I could, I can have another 42 years ahead of me and there is no way I'm going to survive that long. So, um, you know. Uh, I passed middle age at around 25, I reckon. Um, let's let's move on, though, eh? Um, look, um, first half, obviously, the opening goal scored by West Ham. I thought, you know, looking at the lineup, I didn't have any problems with it. It was nice, obviously, to see Wilfred Zaha named uh, in the start in 11. You thought that's, you know, and he always tends to play pretty well against West Ham. And looking how it lined up, you know, obviously I had question marks in my head like I normally do when I see Jordan Ayew spe- spearing the attack in a central position. I'm like, is he a, a better centre-forward option than Edward Omateta? And the, and the truth of that right now is miles better than, than both in terms of the work rate he gives and the type of play that he gives. And, and I think under Roy, we are seeing Jordan Ayew play some of his best football for Palace. Um, it's been outstanding. Not just, I you know, I've never liked him being picked ahead of Elise on the right side under under any manager, um, you know, Vieira or or Hodgson in that sense, and and, and I've never liked him being picked over you know, other players wide. But when I see this kind of the options we have up front right now, and you look at the way he plays, because you know he can receive the ball back to goal at feet in the channels. Um, you know, holds the ball up well, wins free kicks, uh, and his first time passing is is fantastic. So, like, it's just it's bringing the best out of Jordan Ayew, and I have to say, I I feel really, really good being able to say that. 
being able to look at that team sheet and not be annoyed that Jordan Ayew is being picked. And um, because he's always put the effort in, but now we're seeing the quality as well. Yeah, you could say the same about Jeffrey Slop. You could say the same about Joel Ward. And um, you, you, you're praising Ayew um, for having the best ball out of him by Verroy, but I don't think there's a single player that hasn't improved since... Um, well, mm. over the last six games or since the last six games, yeah, I've, every, every last one of them to a man has played better. Mm. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's corners staying on his line, but that's. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about the corners because I think that's that's an important part, and we'll we'll do it now because we've obviously got the the opening goal um, to talk about. But just before I do, I'm bring Chris in, in on on what you said there. Nick, because obviously Chris and I have had a, a long-standing discussion over over Jeff Schlup, um, and I've also had discussions with pretty much everybody on on Joel Ward. If you're going to pick those two out, you know Wardy is is doing fantastic. You know, look, he's there's there's elements of the game at right back that he's not he's not great at. You know, let's face it, he, he's not superb at stopping across, and and he's not great going forward, which is what you want at Premier League level to start pushing up that table but what he is is solid dependable and you know under Roy he has raised his game back again and I say it again because he's done it so many times he's brought that his game up a, up a level but let's talk about Jeff Chris because you know this this sort of version of Jeffrey Schlup okay it's not it's not my usual point of saying actually it's because he's playing wide left he's doing really well or anything like that because he's not he's playing central although it's left uh, of a central midfield. It's the difference between a Jeff Schlupp who's being asked to fulfill a role alongside Jake Ducouré. And it, it, it's a, it's actually a Jeffrey Schlupp who's, who's supplementing as a box-to-box midfielder the work that Eze is doing. That's what we're seeing. Um, and he's another player with the shackles off. So we did see some elements. And when we go to examine the goals that we conceded, we'll talk about, you know, the role he had in those. But from a Midfield perspective, Chris, and and from certainly the third goal, um, this is you know this is a position that suits Jeff, right? Yeah, let's talk about Jeff, baby. It's one of those moments where you know we're now seeing what Schlupp can do, and and indeed, it's it's not just about him; it's about Jordan Ayew, it's about Joel Ward, uh, it's about the setup, it's about confidence. Those are the things that have changed, as well as you know. In the, and the, as you said earlier, there, Chris, the role that it, that these players are being asked to play, they're being asked to play to their strengths now. They're being given the opportunity to do that, and that's the Jeff Schlupp we've seen in previous seasons, where I have enthused about him. Earlier this season, he was a shadow of his former self. He was doing, um, he was making mistakes. And when he's asked to play that defensive role, that's not his strength. He's much better. I mean, you know, we are eventually going to talk about the goal, as you say. We saw his physical strength. We saw his speed. And, you know, we saw his passing. His his attacking passing is actually pretty good. Uh, But under pressure, less so. And in this case, you know, we, we were on the front foot. And I think that's probably the biggest difference with the whole team. They're playing with confidence now. So, you know, long may it continue. Whoscored.com actually have three Palace players rated at 7.9. One is Michael Elise. One is Jeffrey Schlupp. One is Jordan Ayew. And it says that Schlupp's the man of the match for them, which is really nice to see. 
Yeah, I mean, again, that's possibly, I would say Ayu, Ayu took that crown. Um, and I, again, I will also mention Jake Dukure, um, because everything goes through him. Um, you know, there was a really good post on, on Twitter. And I have to apologize for not seeing who it was by or, or even who brought the statistics together, but we use him for so much, you know, not only is he that screen in front of the back four, but you know, a lot of the passing goes through him. He's always seems to be the spare man in the middle. And and I want to talk about that because that, you know, in terms of the tactical battle, you know, we didn't really do too much in terms of nullifying West Ham. We This was one of those games where I think probably the scouts and the coaching staff looked at it and said, well, you know what? We don't really need to be too focused on stopping West Ham play because under Moyes in the situation that they're in, they they are a little bit focused on how to, to stop their opponents. And you saw it in this game, you know, they, they tried their game plan um, for this match was, you know, double up on, in the space that Eze and Elise are in. And uh, which obviously had worked. Wolves had done really well and Everton did really well. So understandably they went to do, went to do the same thing. But then, um, you know, then they then they really did obviously play on our weaknesses uh, at the back post on set pieces, and that was their game plan. And <laughs> to be fair, they got three goals out of it. But I think what the, the key difference this week was they couldn't do what Everton and Wolves did because Zaha's back in the team. You know that that's that's the bottom line there. If you spend if you double up on Eze and Elise, you're leaving way too much space for Wilf. So they had to keep trying to react to that, and that created a huge amount of space for Schlup, um, Dukure, and and Ayu in particular because they watched Zaha, they watched Elise, they watched Eze. And once you've done that, you've lost most of your defending players trying to monitor other people. So Mitchell could gallop down the left hand side, which he did continuously. Um, you know, he was his average position was incredibly far forward for him. So, you know, that that's where we won the game, and that's why it was this attacking performance, because we could. Um West Ham, you know, basically tried to, to make and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Had marked too many players out of the game, in my view. Um, but it was it was fantastic to see. It really was. Um, but but we did start poorly. Um, we gave away a, a corner, and we didn't really heed the kind of the the immediate warning of this. And obviously, it was it was a weird one. The first one, though, right? It was. I mean, Chris, I, I'm pretty sure you were in the ground by this point, weren't you? At nine minutes, I can't quite remember. Yeah, Maybe I was. Yeah, so it was. You know, I've seen it back a few times now looking at the highlights, but the corners come in and it's Elise who headers it. Um, 
to to Suchek. Um, I don't know what he's trying to do, and I know he's not known for his heading ability. You know, he, he'll go up for a, an aerial ball in his general direction, and he's but it's not, you know, obviously a, a, clearly not a great header in the ball. But it's just one of it's an aberration, isn't it? You can't really, you know, legislate for for somebody not quite knowing what to do in that situation. Yeah, I think he must have been trying to head it out because you wouldn't be trying to head it across your own goal. Um, he just got it horribly wrong. Um, a young player, a player who's as gifted as he is and as does as many brilliant things as he does in every game, is allowed to make a mistake and is allowed, to, you know, but has to learn from it. And that that's the key. Um, clearly, you know, that wasn't even a doing the wrong thing. It was doing the right thing but getting it wrong. Yeah, yeah, probably. And it, it just seemed <laughs> he baffled in his reaction to it. He's kind of like. It wasn't even a kind of head in hands moment. It was just kind of he just kind of froze and thought, "Oh, you know, oh, um, yeah, um, that that's that's my bad, guys." But obviously, he's headed the ball down, and Suchek is pretty much unchallenged, and that was kind of a feature of uh, the the bad moments in the game. And there weren't many of them, but you know, we we seemed to let Suchek go wherever he wanted, and and we didn't really know how to deal with him. And I'll say this now, and we'll come back to it. We put the wrong player on him, you know, in terms of set pieces. We had Jeffrey Schlupp marking him, who was giving away a fair amount in height and, and a considerable amount in, in sort of nous and strength around how to move, uh, you know, around the penalty area in, in terms of, of the set piece bit. So, um, but I'll, yeah, Nick, I'll let you come in and then we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk Palace goals. Yeah, well, um, first of all, Chris said about learning from your mistakes. Well, we didn't because the same thing happened thrice didn't it um but it, my worry is that IU's been at the near post at corners and he's not the most defensive minded so he's not going to think about that area in front of them that players can possibly run into even though he might not necessarily be marking a person he's looking after a space and hmm. it didn't seem to have defensive now to fill that space when the ball was coming in yeah well, that, that's really that's a really good obs- observation Nick because yeah it, it... Couple of times, where he, obviously he's on the he's been on the po- he's on the post there, but he's not really staying on the post. Or and if he comes off, he's not really trying to meet the ball with his head. He, you know, he's he's basically occupying a space, and that comes from the fact that he, in terms of the set piece lineup for the defensive set piece, he's fulfilling the role of centre forward. So you know, it's usually somebody with a bit more height, usually somebody who's a, who's very, very good in the air. And, and I use decent in the air, but basically because he hasn't played centre forward very much, at least not for us, he's, um you know, he's not necessarily familiar with that, that position defensively. Um, so I think that did get exposed. Um, but look, before, before we go into the, the kind of repeated position of being, um, you know, flick on at the near post, <laughs> finish the ball at the back post, you know, we scored three great goals before the next West Ham goal. Um, so obviously the first one, the, the most pleasing aspect for me was the the kind of, the not it wasn't quite, I was going to use the word swagger there, but it wasn't really swagger that we played with um, it, soon, as soon as we kicked off after conceding. But we kicked off after, after conceding and we didn't, we clearly hadn't been affected by conceding the goal. There was frustration and obviously there was more frustration later on that we'll probably talk about, but there was irritation that we'd conceded that goal, but it was like, everyone took a deep breath and we kicked off. We just carried on exactly as we were. 
like we and we've got a very good points record from con- after conceding. You know, I think it's one of the best in the Premier League, and it that is a very good thing about our mentality. Um, and it's not just obviously down to the current manager or the manager before actually the squad itself does actually have quite a strong mentality in dealing with going behind in games, which is nice. But we played our football. We we didn't panic. Um, and that that opening goal. Uh, it was just a, it was just a nice bit of passing. I, I realised that somewhere in there was maybe one or two sort of you know, fortunate little um, moments, if you like. But but the move to put Jordan Ayew through and the, and the finish that he um, the finish that he did at the end of it, it was you know watching it in the ground. Um, it it just seemed to happen really quickly. It seemed to be really really slick movement and passing and you know, the one touch stuff that we played at times was just sensational. But the pleasing thing for me was, was Jordan Ayew's run. Obviously the pass to him was superb, but his, his run, um, um, that, that Elise found with a perfectly weighted ball is still a lot to do from that position, but he just, he didn't hesitate at all. Like that's instinctive. And, I got to ask Nick: Is is Jordan Ayew? When you think about how he's playing as a as a centre forward now, is he the answer to to our problems of, of finishing from that centre forward position? He is an answer. You said it was instinctive, and I think that there lies the problem with our our uh, Ghanaian prince is that if it's instinctive, he can do it. If he's got too much time to think, then that's where he lets himself down. I think the same could be could be said of uh, Benteke before. Um, who I've really wanted back in defence for corners just for one match, um, our defensive striker. But yeah, it was it was he didn't have time to think about that. It was it was all instinct, and it was such a sublime move. Um, and he knew exactly where he was going. But we we'll go back to the back to Wolves, where Elise and Eze Eze were on opposite wings, and we've seen how well they're playing together when they're close together. And as you alluded to earlier, Chris, about West Ham, sort of concentrating on that Elise and uh, as a triangle um, with whoever's around them, um, leaving Wilfrey. But they were doing it all through the game. And you, you say that um, Jordan was a centre forward. They were so fluid. Uh, as I, Well, four of them were fluid in positions. They were all kind of swapping roles. And I know we've spoken about this before, before the Vieira era, about how we could do this. And yesterday was the first we've seen them do it really, really, really well. But yeah, back to your point about Ayu. Great finish. Mm, great absolutely finish. right. Shouldn't have taken his top off though. <laughs> no, he shouldn't, bless him. But uh, you know, I'm glad to see him so excited, to be honest with you, just you know, scoring a goal and being so happy about it. Um, even though someone still needs to tell his face that he's happy. Um look, fantastic stuff. The the second goal was was probably even better. Again, a touch of fortune about it, but the move to to get in down the getting down the side you had obviously um you know as a i think it was on the overlap putting the ball in um i noticed that i was reading through it earlier that i noticed that the bbc in their match report described it as are you leaving as a's pass to allow zaha to slot in actually <laughs> to be fair i tried to do a clever little flick and missed it completely and it's then gone in off of Zaha's ankle, and you know you've seen them missed. Um, at the again at the game, I saw that as you know a great 
step over from across from Ayu and a fantastic finish exactly where it needed to be from Zaha. The reality was perhaps slightly less impressive um, in terms of the execution. Again, we could say we're maybe a little bit fortunate there, but, um, but you know, Chris Zaha gets the credit for the goal. He still has finished it. It doesn't matter that it came off the top of his ankle and, uh, and went in, you know, nicked in off the post. Um, it's just, you know, fantastic to see him back in the team, back amongst the goals, uh, and, and kind of fitting that he he got that as soon as he he got in because he made such a difference to us. Absolutely, and you could see how much it meant to him as well with the celebration. Beautiful to to see him playing down that wing where he belongs. And with, with regard to the goal, you're absolutely right. It wasn't a brilliant connection. Um, watching it back, it, it's remarkable how high it goes and how fast it goes. Um, but you know they all count, don't they? And you know, very, very, very pleased to to see that go. I, I think you're possibly being a little bit uncharitable to Jordan. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he was trying to. I, mean, I, I thought it was a dummy too, and I still thought it was a dummy when I watched it on Match of the Day earlier. But you know, they they also said that he missed it. I think so. Yeah, I, think. I mean, I only I only know it from being a you know a terrible footballer um, and attempting that move a number of times and missing it. Um, Did I ever tell you that he stayed in the hotel room next to me when we went to Leeds away, and you, um, <laughs> he wait, got locked out of his room? Really, Jordan? Are you? Yeah, it wasn't Leeds away; it was Forest away. But yeah, Jordan, I was the whole team were in in the same hotel yeah. as us, and he got. He got locked out of his room. Um, <laughs> it was he put his card in and it wasn't working. And <laughs> just the sad look on his face as he shook his head and went down to reception to get it sorted out. Where all live with me. cards not working? What, yeah, exactly. Where where were you when this happened? Where was I? How I was in my, I was in the corridor outside my room, which was next door to his. Right, and you just happened to be going to your rooms at the same time. I was leaving to go to the game. Right. <laughs> he was clearly going back to just get whatever he was getting to get on the coach or however they were getting to the ground. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was one All of right. those moments of just like, oh. It's just because I didn't have that context. It just felt a little bit like you'd been following him. Um, yeah. Well, and, to be and, fair. And, you know, you know. Couldn't blame me if I was. Well, exactly. Exactly. All right. Can um, I just ask, Chris? Um, yeah. Were the team slumming it by staying in the ho- same hotel as you already paid a few quid extra to stay in the same hotel as the team? I didn't know that they were going to be there. It was a very pleasant surprise uh, when um, we were doing a work call in the reception and Louise, my girlfriend, said, look, and we saw some of them and then more of them coming in. It was really exciting. And they were there and they had their team briefing and they had a dinner separately in a different room. It was, it was really cool to see. Mm. Sounded very defensive. Anyway, um, let's move on <laughs> from that line of questioning, shall we, in case anyone incriminates themselves. Right, um, third goal, all about all about the wonderful uh, work of Jeffrey Schlupp. That, um, really pleasing to see because, again, at the game... Um, yeah, because obviously you're wrapped up in you already. We're already two one up, um, playing some some nice football. Um, but you know, obviously aware that we'd conceded and, and expecting a bit of a response from West Ham. And I didn't quite appreciate how I don't know pedestrian they were with their passing in the lead up to this. So they kind of brought it on themselves. But you know, you mentioned it earlier, 
um, Chris, when you talked about the kind of speed that um, that Jeffrey Schlupp showed, because he is, a, you know, again, he's a very fast runner. It's one of the things that frustrates me the most about him that he doesn't make the use he should of his pace, in my view. Uh, I know he's had some injuries and there's probably a bit of a part to play there, but you know, he's he was very good with his pressing all game, and his pressing there was absolutely excellent because he he seized upon the 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 moment so quickly. You know, there was no real chance because um, I think it was Suchek again, wasn't it? Who, who had the ball ball sort of play, yeah. uh, played to him pretty slowly. It was. Um, but the previous three passes to that were again very very um, you know lacking in power, should we say, lacking lacking in crispness. So he spotted that pretty early, which is really good and. Yeah, he's just got a, the perfect timing in the challenge. But it's not just the challenge. It's not just the fact that he's nicked the ball there. It's the decisiveness. He already knows what he's going to do. Um, and we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen that in the players. Nick, you put it in the, the chat there, that it's belief. And I think that's got to be it because he didn't hesitate. There wasn't, oh, should I get my head up and look to square it or anything like that? It was, I'm nicking this ball and I'm going at goal. And you can tell he's he's seen he can just nick that ball through Fabianski's legs very quickly, and he's did it. Didn't think about anything else. Um, and it's obviously that goal is crucial, absolutely crucial. We didn't know it at that moment, but you know we we were going to get pegged back again shortly afterwards. So being three one up in that moment was was vital. We might not go on to win the game if he doesn't do his job in that moment. It was one of the calmest shots. I can remember seeing for a very, very long time there from Jeffrey. He was just so composed, wasn't he? Yeah, and you just want to see it. I remember, oh, I can't remember which of the, which of the coaches said said it. Now, I think it might have actually been Ray Lunton who said in in the previous spell that Jeffrey Schlupp was probably one of the best finishers, if not the best finisher, at the club. Um, again, which is more more reasons to want him to do these things more often. But um, but seeing him. Seeing him do that in this game was fantastic. Um, but look, in the interest of time, I don't want to keep going on and on about the same thing. So look, we'll we'll, we'll rush quickly onto and past the uh, the goals we did. The next goal we conceded um, before we talk about the penalty. Um, so again, it was a it was a corner. You know, <laughs> it was um, a corner into the near post. Uh, sort of thirty five minutes in, it was to Suchek. He this time got his head on it to flick it towards the back post. At the back post, Joel Ward, I think it was, had walked off Antonio. Uh, and he's just got a free header at the back post. Um, so again, it's it's there's a lack of communication there. Um, there was, a, you know, Jeffrey Schlupp was the one marking Suchek at the time, which I've already said I didn't think was the right, probably the right person to do that, but it was his role. Um, and he's at no point is he on the right side of Suchek to stop this from happening. Um, you know, there's a kind of mix of players on the line there, and and we're we're a bit zonal, we're a bit man to man, we're we're sort of mixing it up. But there's no reason whatsoever when you're on the goal line and you're Joel Ward to walk away from the player who scores. There's no reason to do it. There's a keeper in there if if the ball is going to come into into the area that Joel Ward is walking towards. So you got to just got to stick with the player, and and unfortunately he didn't, and it's just too easy a goal and. Look, we're lucky we can sit here now and, and say it didn't cost us. But you know, when you can, when we conceded the second goal, one thing you thought for absolute certainty at half time we're going to get in at three two. That they got to talk about that and how that happened. And you know, there'll be 
coaching staff on the bench, you've seen replays. They'll be able to say, this is what happened. Don't you dare do that again. You you didn't do your jobs. It's been too easy to get in at the front post for the flick on, and it was absolutely criminal what happened at the back post. So sort it out, right? Great. That second half, we're definitely not going to concede like that, right? So second half, (laughs) we did really, really well. Um, I like the fact that we, you know, West Ham had that boost 10 minutes before the break. Uh, and it was quite an even game for the last 10 minutes of the, the first half. But we were, again, we were starting to build up a bit of a rhythm. But I thought West Ham are really going to have to come at us in the second half. It's really important to them. You know, they're on, what are they? They're on 34 points. So they're not safe, you know. Um, and and this, this game's getting away from them. So they're really going to come at us. Um, but we, we held up pretty well. Nick? Quick question for your unbiased eyes. Was it a penalty on Wilf right at the death of the first half? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Um, to the point where I don't even, I don't think I've seen it back. Um, See, Will went to get the beers at that point. He was in Chris's role. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, he said it looked like a defo penalty on the telly. Really? Yeah. I didn't think of the, again, More of a penalty than the one we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't get the greatest of views of it at the ground, unfortunately. Um, obviously, it's right down where we were, but I, I didn't see the, the contact properly. It's just really the, the reaction from the players. It wasn't particularly strong, I didn't think. Um, and, and you just assume that nothing's nothing's doing. But then you do wonder, don't you, that, that maybe later on the, the penalty we do get, maybe we get that because that nobody really kind of looked properly at the the previous one. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll probably have to see it again. I've got the old game <laughs> recorded. Maybe I'll watch it a third time and have a proper look. Um, but look, you know, we did get a penalty in the end. And, and first of all, I'll, I'll say this, right. And I know there's been a lot of West Ham fans on, on social media and all that kind of stuff talking about how outrageous it was. And it, David Moyes called it a soft penalty and said, I thought we weren't going to get soft penalties given anymore and all this kind of stuff. Right. So first and foremost, we, you know, we deserve to win the game. We deserve that goal. Um, and the way we were playing was excellent. And I can't really make my mind up whether I think it is as soft as penalty as it, as it kind of initially appears to be. So, you know, as quick as I can, my thought, my thoughts are that, you know, I don't know what reasons as they would, would have to fall the way he fell um, unless he felt decent enough contact that he, that he wasn't going to get the ball. Um, And, you know, if you, if you, if contact is made and you're not going to get the ball as a result of that contact, you've got to go to ground because they won't give a penalty for someone giving you a little shove. If you, if you stay on your feet, they're not going to give you a penalty, even though if it stops you getting the ball. So he has to go to ground, right? Any anyone knows that you know as as a footballer you have to go to ground in the penalty area to get a penalty unless it's a handball you know so uh, I don't have a problem with him going to ground the only question is is there enough contact because there's there's an arm across different angles it looks more significant than than others um, but ultimately I think on the on the balance of play we deserved the opportunity to score that goal and that's all I can really say on it Chris. If it's Erling Haaland and one of the Palace defenders does that, it's a penalty. And that's, for me, that's it. You know, the big club tends to get the advantage. I've seen those given. I've seen them not given. They always get given to the big teams. In this case, 
it was a 50-50 call. It, it was checked. And the decision was made to uphold the decision to give the penalty. I think that was fair enough and correct. Uh, it's not often that I um, end up defending refereeing decisions, but I thought that was a, a pretty fair one. He did go down quite easily, considering the lightness of the contact. But as you say, if you don't go down, it doesn't get given, does it? So, fair enough. That's a, that's it. End of conversation for me. I like the fact that Chris inferred there that we were the bigger team. And that's why we got the decision. <laughs> he, he said that on the day as well, actually. He said, nice, nice to have a bit of big club bias going in our direction. He said a few <laughs> times, actually. Um, but, like, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I don't think I can add too much more to what we said, really. It's, you know, um, I suppose the only thing to add, really, is if, if, if that happens against us, if that's up the other end and West Ham get a penalty and I see a replay like that, I'm probably going to find a different way of expressing my view um, as to whether players should fall to their fall to the ground on contact or not. And you'd probably have me saying, there's nowhere near enough contact. He can probably he can still get the ball, blah, 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 blah. But here I'm making the, the logical progression that if Eze can get the ball without being impeded, he just would have done. He would have carried on and slotted that away. So um, I've got to believe that the contact was significant enough for it to be given a penalty. So there we go. Um, so, and again, good, good job. We did get that because, you know, we get that on the, on 66 minutes. It's, it's only six minutes later that, you know, the ball's gone out for a corner, right? So again, I'm not sure from your perspective, Chris, you were pretty much exactly where I was just literally the seat behind me. So I'm assuming you saw the same thing I did, Nick. I'm not sure what you saw exactly, but the ball goes out for a corner. We'd actually been trying not to give away corners. We, you know, there was a real effort to to boot it out for throws and things like that. If there was any danger of it going for a corner, because we'd seen that, that we had a problem, but um, then they started using long throws. And I think that kind of put, put us on edge a bit. But anyway, we, we see it's a corner, the keeper, you know, Sam Johnston is, is pointing and shouting and, everyone's geeing each other up and saying you know let's let's get this one right everyone get in the right position do this do this do this everyone's talking to each other and you think you know that actually before the corner comes in I'm actually feeling pretty confident I'm thinking oh brilliant you know we're 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 really focused on this one at least we won't concede the exact same oh <laughs> you know because <laughs> same thing Sujek he can he can see clearly there's daylight between him and the zone he wants to be in no one's no one's occupying the zone and no one's close enough to him the movement's not that clever all he's done is walk you know taking his marker which is just jeff again through somebody else marking somebody else and created the little bit of a jostle then he's got space perfect timing as the ball comes in but even at that moment when he's he's got the got to the ball first and he's going to head it back across. They get a little bit of luck because he heads it back, but it flicks off the Palace defender at the same time as well um, and loops up a bit better towards the back post. But again, he's still got the flick on, so he, he still makes the goal. Um, and But then there's two of them at the back post. Antonio could put it in again, but also Agard, um I think again, I think it's Ward, I think I'm right in saying, but it, it might have been somebody else. Again, it's just walks off him. Um, you just you've got to follow him. You've got to follow the run of the player because you know what else are you doing? <laughs> it's pretty. It's just it just seems really odd that we um, that we lost that again. And I think what were your views, guys? I'll ask you first, 
uh, Nick, in terms of the aftermath of that? Because I know they were checking for a potential foul because there was a bit of a shirt pull in there, um, but it was when people were already falling into the goal, I think. And But what was your view on the kind of reaction on the pitch? Because there was a lot of anger. I know Wilf was going absolutely crazy, but there was all sorts of pointing and gesturing and, and arguments, and it just seemed to be the team arguing with each other. Yeah, um, and... Is that down to the players not being on the ball out on the pitch? Or is that down to the coaching staff not instilling? Going back to what Roy said a couple of weeks ago about you haven't done everything I've asked you to do yet. Make sure you do it in the second half. Um, but yeah, I mean, how much, how much of Roddy Johnson play there in not coming for the ball at all? Because he did seem rather rooted. And uh, the other point after that was mm. the cheer that went up when a ball nearly went out for a corner, but went out to a throw, <laughs> very close to the corner flag of yeah. sheer relief. Um, I think you, I think you raise an interesting point about Sam Johnson not coming for anything there, but I would I would point to this. It, look, West Ham had done really good work on those set plays because they'd obviously pinpointed a weakness for us. Now the keeper can't come for the for the ball to the near post, right? So the problem he has is he has to be reactive from that point. Think about the time from when the ball goes into the near post, um, whether it connects with a play, with a Palace player or or the West Ham player, right? He's got to anticipate what happens next. So it he can't really come for it. He can't really push his way to the near post and get it. That's why the flick on is good. You remember, we used to do it. You remember under Koppel? You know, we just scored a whole bunch of goals with that flick on. Go back to the what the four uh, three Liverpool semi final. Yeah. How many of those flick ons at the near post? It's because nobody can come for it. If you get the flick on, you it's it. You know, no one's can do much about it. Um, and then you just all pile in on the back post. So we we got done with with that tactic. We just got done with it too many times. So I thought at the game, I thought Johnston has been, you know, has been done a bit there because and and his lack of time playing with the defence in front of him has really been shown. But I have to say, honestly, Nick, on reflection, I couldn't blame him when I saw it. Yeah, and I think it's important to say, I mean, you're right, um, Chris, with what you were saying about um, it's Wardy who is out of position um, and you know, ultimately that that's how this happens. But I'd also point the finger a little bit at Decoure. Uh He gets completely bossed and out-muscled by Antonio. And to be fair, most of us would because he's a unit. But he's backpedalling and just out of his depth in that position. Mm. You know, he's not he's not a big big player or not a tall player particularly. No. But, you know, in that case, then don't put him in that position of defending a corner. Don't put him as the second man on the back post. Yeah, well, this is where, where I, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. It's a really astute observation because it, it's about having those, I, I suppose, it's to a certain degree, when you look through the team, you know, once once you get outside of the centre-backs um, and probably Ward, um, you know, we're not really talking about massively physically imposing people, are we? You know, I mean, Wilf's what, 5'11", but you don't have him, you don't have him marking people trying to head the ball out at the, you know, he's he's there to break away and things like that, isn't he? So we actually don't have the kind of height and strength that we that we used to have. You know, Nick was right earlier on hankering after Venteke as a defensive uh, forward because it's it's that kind of player that's missing because at the back post, you're right. Look, Decore is not, not going to win much in the air. You know, 
Schlupp's not going to win much in the the air, uh, you know, in a, in a defensive position. So we we do have a weakness there, and you have to say West Ham knew that. Um, but anyway, look, we we held on. We actually held on really well, and it was a bit nerve wracking with the the six minutes of added time. I think we played nine, um, so it did feel at one stage like they're just the officials might be desperate for West Ham to get to get a goal or something. But it didn't happen. We held out really well, and. You know, I just sort of end the review on on Roy Hodgson's comments. So again, taken from the site and the full comments and context are on the official Palace site. Um, and he said, you know, that you know, we have we he's talking about achieving the the points total in advance of where we thought. And they thought he said we quite frankly were looking at two of the last three games uh, being in a relegation battle, but we're not in it anymore. And then no longer games we need to produce something to stay up. So it's up to the players. Um, we'll keep working as staff, but it'll be up to them to see if they can keep producing the performances that they have in the last in their last six. Um, he'd said it was a wonderful first half from our point of view. We played really well, did all the things we hoped we could do, and our quality players produced. Credit to West Ham to keep coming down from two goals behind. They've had a hectic schedule. And it was incredible what they were able to do from set pieces, keeping the game alive. Um, and he said, uh, in terms in terms of the attacking players, sometimes there's one or two many flicks, <laughs> but they were good today. The goals we scored were good goals. Uh, we keep sustaining attacks and then winning the ball back so well when they cleared it. If you're going to become a good attacking team, you work and get the patterns of play how you want, but without the quality of the players, nobody notices it. And he said, the way we've worked here is exactly the same as we did four years ago, but now the club is set up with a more with more pot- with a more potent setup. Than before, so a little bit of a comment from Roy there on the players at his disposal. Now we're not going to spend the last thirty seconds or so of the show debating um, that particular situation, but I thought it was interesting to hear hear that comment from Roy, and I'd like a reaction from you both, starting with you, Chris. I'm going to be really honest here. I drifted off. Say it again, please. Sorry. <laughs> well, how could you possibly expect listeners to be still focused? They're probably not. Let's face it. We've gone on too long. Uh, I was talking about Roy's comments and um, it was really the last bit that he said. Um, he said, the way we've worked here is exactly the same as we did four years ago, but the, now the club is set up with a more potent setup mm. than before. So that's Roy. Little bit of a hint at saying, you know, you've given me a better team, a more attacking, more quality team, uh, and I can do more with it. That's basically what he seems to be suggesting to me. Almost like a picture of the job. Almost like a picture of the job. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, and one that interestingly, there was a BBC poll that asked people should, should Roy continue uh, Mm. in the job? And a vast majority of people seem to be saying yes which is very interesting indeed. Uh, certainly not something I would have expected based on uh, previous conversations on this podcast or around, especially in the later periods of Roy's previous time with the club. It's it's an interesting one. I think the club has has indeed changed and you know focused on the infrastructure a lot. You can see that with things like the academy and so forth. And... I mean, the, the key thing is, you know, when Roy came in before, it was um, a relegation fight. But a lot earlier in the season, we were only what four games in when he when uh, the previous manager was sacked, and you know when he came in, 
you had a lot more time to turn things around. In this case, I think you had you had a really strong squad of players who somehow had just been underperforming, albeit under in a series of very difficult games. It's very sad to see the previous manager go, and now you know Roy has, has managed to get a tune out of them. Whether in truth that's something we want to see more of, let's yeah, I think the jury's out on that. Sure. Um, Nick, you got a little bit less time because Chris covered it pretty well yeah. there. But um don't know what your your views in general are on what first of all Roy's comments and second of all what, what the future might hold. Well he has got a good good squad here. We we said before we we went on that barren run, uh, as Chris said, albeit against difficult opposition. Um I'm without opening too much of a can of worms because um Martin Davies asked on the uh, back of the Nest Facebook about, you know, enjoying the performance yesterday where do we need to strengthen the next season I think a lot of that might be do we need to strengthen too much if Roy is still there will that affect Wilf wanting to stay or not because these players are playing in a team obviously enjoying playing under him they're all playing with smiles on their faces now if we can build up this momentum to the end of the season and then use that to to jump start the next season provided we don't go on tours in different sides of the world and splitting the squad up will be a good thing. Um, the last thing I'll say about the old management regime that Will, Will pointed out to me yesterday during the game is, why does Ray Lewington wear the opposite of what the weather suggests? Because he had a puffer <laughs> jacket and tracky bottoms on yesterday. He's a non-conformist. That's just yes. how he is. You know, he doesn't he doesn't believe in weather. Uh, and he won't stand for it. No, um, look, you know, I appreciate both of your uh, politicians' answers, but look, bottom bottom line here, right? You know, you can't ignore the work that Roy Hodgson's done. It's pretty clear that his methods since coming back, um, you know, and the circumstances around them. I think the shock of Vieira going, um, but the sort of speed that that Roy's come in, um, and and the method that that. Roy uh, Ray and, and and Paddy McCarthy have have gone on with you know there's a bit of con- continuity there's some famili- familiarity there I think we've seen some real benefits to it but you know honestly these are these were the games where we were going to get our points anyway I feel and um, but that's not to ignore that, that there was some something clearly wrong before we clearly had lost a lot of belief and confidence and we were struggling to find the kind of combinations and and rhythm that we needed. And this was probably the quickest way of getting that back. So you've got to, you know, certainly take your hat off to, to Steve Parrish for a difficult decision. Um, and one that I did not agree with at all. Uh, and I still have serious reservations about, even though it's worked out well. Um, but then going on from that and you start looking at, you know, well, we've done incredibly well. And, you know, even if we don't get another point this season, um, you still have to look at the situation objectively and say, is there a better option out there, manager-wise, um, to take the club forward? Um, I don't believe that, that Roy, obviously Roy physically can't be manager to take the club forward for any real length of time anyway, but um, I think so much depends on what we're prepared to invest in this squad. You know, we have players out of contract. We need to sort the right-back situation out. We need competition at left-back. We need, you know, permanent central midfielders in there. We need another striker. We need a replacement for Wilf if he goes. And we've got to integrate younger players into the squad as well so that, you know, some of the returning loanees need 
a chance to perform at Premier League level to know if they can do it. Um, plus we have players coming up through the ranks that do need opportunity and they do need time and they don't need a manager who's going to ask them to get him a bottle of wine if he gives them three minutes against Liverpool, you know? So we have to we have to think about the future of our football club and we're, yet again, <laughs> coming to the end of a season. It's great, we can relax now and enjoy the last four games, but I'm still looking at it thinking, God, what a horrible job to kind of try and plan this for next year. You know, because what the hell do we do? We've got to do something different with the squad. We've got to enhance it and improve it despite the circumstances we have and find a manager to to knit all that together. Um, so you can't help but think, you know, you'd be tempted, wouldn't you? If you're, if you're Steve Parrish right now uh, and looking at the, the club, you would be really tempted just to say, oh, we could probably get another year out of Roy, couldn't we? whilst we try and build, whilst we try and invest, whilst we get this main stand going and focus on some off-the-pitch stuff. We we could, Roy is a safe pair of hands for another year. And, you know, I fear that. I really do. Um, but, um, but what I can say is, um, uh, you know, being back at the ground, being back at Celeste yesterday, yesterday at the time of recording, um, the the joy of watching Palace was very much there. And that more than anything pleases me because, you know, Roy Hodgson effectively right now stops being the man who stopped me enjoying Palace um, just literally by definition. So that's good. Has that, this affected your decision about season tickets next year? Because I know you were owning an iron. Mm, Chris was hassling me about that. I am owning an iron because I live further away and it's a huge commitment. And we all know what cost of living is like these days. Um, and once you stick food and travel and all that kind of stuff on the price of your season ticket, it's really difficult. But being able to go to to, to watch Palace is a privilege. Uh, and I appreciate that there's people waiting in the wings who would probably like that privilege as well. But um, I would suggest, yes, it has made my decision <laughs> for me. Um, and it's it's very likely that, um, that I'll be purchasing my season tickets over the next couple of days. Um, yeah. For, for sure, um, and um, yeah, dragging my my poor partner along to some games, although she she enjoyed herself. Like I said, it was a really positive experience as well. So um, yeah, just yeah, fantastic day really. And um, yeah, just the la- the last note on that. Um, obviously, I've men- mentioned before, um, but I went back to the game um, because. Uh, we were meeting up, a group of my friends were meeting up at the Cherries after the match to raise a glass for, for Dina Collins, our friend who who's really very, very tragically passed away, incredibly young um, over the last, you know, the last few months back. And I've mentioned it on the show before, uh, but I was unable to talk too much about it because um, it was very raw and very difficult. And uh, it was really sad to, to lose Dina. She was a fantastic person. Uh, and it was really nice to be able to meet up with everybody and, and raise a uh, a shot of <laughs> apple sours in her memory. So, um, yeah, uh, thank you to everybody who, who made that possible. So that's the show. We'll end it there. Um, so thank you very much to everyone who, who listened, who, who got in touch as well. I know we didn't use too much of it, but Nick was kind enough to pick up on a couple of things there. Uh, and we'll try and have a bit more structure around our shows in in the future. Uh, only four games of the season left, left of course. Um, next one up is Spurs, isn't it, on the uh, on the 6th. Um, so the preview guys will be along to talk about that fairly soon. 
uh, in advance, of course. And, and then we'll be back to review it shortly afterwards. Thanks to Chris, Nick, and also to Mikey for producing. We'll see you again soon. Until next time, come on, you palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.